Hey Bliss Seekers, and welcome to your online home away from home. A place where we marry ancient wisdom and modern science, so we dispel the woo-woo of spirituality to help you find authentic health, balance, and bliss. I'm your host, Ari, a specialist registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, embodiment coach, and modern mystic. I've trained with the world's leading experts in psychology, mindfulness, and behavior change. And I am a recovered perfectionist, overachiever, and self-development junkie on a mission to help you stop being your own worst critic, to finally step into your authenticity, and return to wholeness through mind, body, and spirit integration. This is a place where imperfection is celebrated. So grab a cup of cacao, coffee, matcha, or whatever you fancy, and inhale deeply through your nose and out your mouth, and get ready to live in alignment. You're listening to Align with Ari. Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to Align with Ari, the podcast. In today's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Angie Tuari, who is a yoga teacher, breathwork teacher, as well as meditation teacher. And let me tell you, her energy is a vibe. It was so great to hear her and receive her wisdom. You can really tell the passion just shines through her heart and it was just so incredible. So I know you're absolutely going to love this episode. So I'll tell you a bit about Angie if you don't know her already. She is a globally recognized industry leader in wellness known for her boldness and openness to be vocal about issues many experience. Having worked with some of the biggest brands from Instagram to M&S, Dishoom, Dentsu, and Uber Eats, she seeks to break down false and harmful narratives in the wellness industry with a mission to reshape it. So her vision is for more diversity, inclusion, and accessibility, and South Asian representation within yoga and beyond. What's really cool is Women's Health Magazine named her as one of eight women breaking the bias in sports fitness, and wellness. And you can definitely hear it in what we speak about today. We we really get into some myth-busting and kind of destigmatizing some of the experiences that we might have on and off the mats around wellness, around, you know, comparison. So, and really, you know, thinking about practices to return home to the body, to your inner world versus focusing on those external kind of validations that we might seek, right? And we've all probably, I know I have my hand raised and so did Angie in this conversation that we've all fallen prey to that. And it's part of that human experience. So Angie does such a beautiful job at making you feel comfortable in the skin you're in her practice and really bringing in the the true essence of yoga into the room. So yes, so she also founded a beautiful online well-being community called Unearthed. And it is a membership platform and she also hosts retreats. So if you're looking to, you know, have access to over 150 classes on demand globally, you can definitely join her global audience where she has members spanning across 24 countries. And what's really beautiful is the Times, Conde Nast, Traveler and TSE named her retreats as one of the best in the UK and Ireland, the best for beginners and the best for 
fitness. So she is definitely the real deal. Loved talking to her so much about yoga beyond the poses. So you can expect from today's conversation, we really explored the three doshas of Ayurveda and how to find balance, right? So we really dive into a little introduction of Ayurveda, but we could have definitely had an entire conversation (laughs) on that in and of itself. We also talked about destigmatizing what yoga is and isn't, the science and spirit of yoga. We explored the eight limbs of yoga. So one of the limbs is the poses, which you are likely familiar with, but there are other seven limbs as well that we explore together. We think about moving past comparisons, meeting the self, capital S, self, and the ego in yoga. We look at yoga from the trauma-informed lens and yoga practices for off the mat, which is really important, right? Because it's like, okay, we roll up the mat. Mm, I feel grounded. I feel great. I am feeling so at peace and at ease. But then what happens when you roll up the mat and carry on with your day, right? We're living the human experiences, things come up. So how can we continue to weave the essence of yoga and these eight limbs of yoga throughout our life? So it's a very beautiful, empowering conversation that I know you're going to get lots of golden nuggets of wisdom. And of course, there are also some resources that Anji shares with us. So without further ado, I will see you on the other side and enjoy. All right. Now, the reason why I was inspired to invite Angie onto the podcast, of course, none, she is amazing. So that is definitely one reason. And the other is really to shed light on the science of yoga in the sense that it is a sister science to Ayurveda, right? And if we think about thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago in India, this is where this practice came to be and is actually rooted in very ancient texts and ancient wisdom. And it's been practiced for so many thousands of years that there is something more more than just the poses that I really wanted to shed light on and do justice to and and pay respect to. So of course, you know, you'll hear me mention in the episode today is, you know, my very first experience with yoga, I actually thought of it as just a form of exercise, right? Like a great way to decompress as movement is. And what I actually left that yoga room with was just so much more than I would get from any other form of exercise. And that's actually what allowed me to, and I don't like to use addicted because that's a very strong word, but I really became a huge fan and actually a practitioner of yoga. And as you'll hear us say, it is always an ongoing practice. There's no such thing as being good at yoga. It's really just an ongoing practice of returning back home to your body, your inner world, your inner self, highest self. And So that's actually what eventually led me to want to deepen the practice and even eventually become a yoga teacher myself. And I actually don't really teach. I've never taught in groups and classes, but actually it's, you know, and I do bring it into the work I do with clients in coaching, but really it was for deepening of my own practice. And there's just so much more to yoga that I think isn't paid, you know, isn't shared enough. And hopefully this sheds light on what yoga actually is and how you can use it as a healing modality to support you on your healing journey. And of course, I also mention the word Ayurveda and so does Angie in this episode. So I just wanted to, you know, share a little briefly on Ayurveda, which really 
you know, at the end of the day, we all have an Ayurvedic, what's called constitution or a blueprint to achieving optimal health. So you'll hear us refer to specifically some of the constitutions called Vata, Kapha and Pitta, some of the doshas rather, and the different combination and ratio of these doshas define your constitution, which is the blueprint to achieve your optimal health, right? So so you can all, there are so many quizzes online that you can do to figure out what those are, but definitely something that we mentioned that is something really interesting based on really ancient wisdom and it's, nice, it's lovely to work with as you'll hear. So hopefully that gives you a little introduction and you enjoy the episode. This episode is brought to you by my embodiment toolkit your one-stop shop to return home to your body and rebuild trust and connection with your inner wisdom, which is already inherent to you. Embodiment is an ongoing practice. It is something we need to continue to nurture every single day to help us become our most confident, happy, and authentic selves. So at the foundation of healing, if we think about it, we've been given this beautiful dense matter of a body to work through and feel emotion and to connect with something greater for our soul's journey. So in this toolkit, you can find various resources to meet you where you're at, whether that be breath workshops, yin yoga, yoga nidra, some gentle movement, in the day to reconnect with your body or perhaps maybe more ecstatic movement such as shaking, swaying, dancing. It also includes a daily landing meditation and a workshop on your nervous system getting close and personal with the sensations and a brief introduction to embodiment work. So what we know is when we reconnect with our bodies, we awaken our emotional intelligence and recalibrate our inner compass that knows exactly what we need, how much, and when. This is the foundation to living a healthy, aligned, and blissful life. So if you're into it, head over to my website, www.arianarodriguez.com forward slash embodiment dash toolkit and get your access to the embodiment toolkit so you can return home to your body every single day. Hello, hello, Angie. It is so great to have you on the pod. How are you today? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so excited to chat to you. I feel like we've been trying to book this in for quite a while since I think December last year. So here we are having a chat. I can't wait for you to share your wisdom with us on yoga, breath, meditation, and just how to live an embodied life. Thank you. I can't wait to share it. I can't wait to get stuck in and chat with you. Let's do it. Let's do it. So first question I love to ask guests on the podcast is what lights your soul up on fire? I would say it's something that changes, but definitely right now for me, it's sharing the practice. I really feel so empowered and that fiery sense of like fire in your belly and you want to do more sharing incredible benefits of yoga. And when I say yoga, I mean the poses, I mean the breath, I mean meditation. I mean, all of those 
deep healing modalities and all the goodness that we can get out of it. And when I see people have that, oh, revelation moment, it's just so beautiful, especially because one thing I try to get the myths out of the way, because that's really what holds so many people back. So then when I see the revelation after that, it's like openness is created and it's so beautiful and being able to pass that ancient wisdom on and seeing people benefit from it. I just feel so excited and empowered by that to want to continue to do it. I love that. It sounds like you're just right in your purpose. Like you, you found your dharma, your life purpose, you're doing it. And that is so felt in how you share what you do. I know you have your YouTube channel and you have all of these channels in which and modalities in which you share and express and use that your voice to be able to share that gift. So thank you. And I think yeah, there's so much wisdom in yoga. I can actually think back to my first time doing a yoga class. It's been like over 15 years now. And I remember I was like, oh, I'm going to go do like a workout. My mom recommended it to me. You know, it's like, that's the initial thing you thought you have. And I was actually so stressed. I was in like midterms at that point in my life and like my undergraduate degree. And I left there feeling like something shifted. And it's not just the same feeling you have when you do a spin class or I don't know, hit or whatever other form of exercise. It's, there's something so much deeper there that's happening. And so I'd love to hear that about, you know, what that means and why we kind of feel mm-hmm. that. But before we go into that, because I'm like, enlighten us. What happened to me? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Kept me wanting, you know, I wanted more and more. But yeah, that's so beautiful that you had, that lights you up and that's, you're following that fire in your belly. Mm, yes. So in addition to that, so what, you know, cause it is all about alignment and that's what I love to talk about is how can we marry, you know, the ancient wisdom, modern science to really align mind, body, and soul or spirit. And so mm-hmm. how do you live in alignment? What are your practices? So finding balance. And I don't think you can find it unless you're aware of when you're out of balance and actually it's funny because those two questions that you just asked are completely different in what I would do so the first part is that fire in the belly but sometimes that then leads into an over excitement and the senses are overstimulated and over there's just too much fire actually and because I'm predominantly Pitta Dosha for those listeners and for yourself who know about Ayurveda I've already got that fire element in me. So when I'm fueling the fire, sometimes it becomes too much. And actually, in order to come to alignment, it's about toning that down a little bit. And when I think about alignment, I think about balance. And I think about actually one of the niyamas, which I know we're going to get into the eight limbs of yoga, but that's sandosha, which is contentment. Alignment for me is less about being driven and determined and powerful. and, And it's more about that, simple feeling of comfort and steadiness Mm. so identifying when I'm out of balance and that doesn't necessarily mean I'm really anxious and I'm moody and I'm grumpy sometimes it can mean when I there's too much excitement and I need to get myself back down I think it's important to recognize that there are the two different states for me anyway and then how do I get myself back into a state of balance and spending time with loved ones getting out into nature reminding yourself that you are not the entire universe and there is so much beauty around us and we're a small part of one big thing I think to ground you that's something that really helps me so practices of grounding going for a walk curling up with loved ones watching a movie Mm. simple things yeah absolutely I can relate to the pizza dosha I love that you mentioned that centering and stability I think I can catch myself 
going on to the, the feeling overexcited. And I never actually considered that as potentially being in, <laughs> unbalanced. So you're bringing that awareness to me. It's like, oh, sometimes I get so lit up. I'm like, this is great. And then you just kind of go with that. And then but potentially there's that risk of then the downfall after. So it's like, how can you bring more of that? Like you said, that stability in your life. I think that's such a great way to put it. Um, yeah. And staying and, grounded and staying yeah. humble and staying grounded. And that doesn't totally. mean not necessarily being proud of yourself when you've achieved something or, mm-hmm. you know, you can still strive for more, yeah. but how do you strive for more while also maintaining the contentment of what you have already achieved? Totally. Especially for those people who are already fire signs mm-hmm. and fit that, you know, it's, amazing great next on to the next thing on to the next thing yeah 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 absolutely yeah it's interesting to know the difference yeah yeah so I'm primarily vata I'm like 70% vata and then pitta (laughs) zero Mm -hmm. kappa (laughs) I'm like fire and air which yeah it's very notable I think in how I'm I'm the same yeah I'm the same I'm probably more pitta vata but my husband Uh is completely and utterly kappa or like tridoshic he's just yeah yeah but mostly very very stable and bliss and it works very well (laughs) it balances you out great great. yeah (laughs) that's amazing amazing actually since we're on that topic topic can you just shed light because I know you do teach Ayurveda as well as it is a sister science to yoga so can you just touch a bit on that you know the doshas the three doshas and how Mm. would someone know if they're out of alignment so it's really tricky because I think some people have been out of alignment for such a long time that they don't really know what it means to feel mm-hmm. in alignment and in balance. Yeah. But I think writing down is a really great way to figure that out and observing key things that happen in your day and what they're like. So an example I would give is your sleep, mm-hmm. your bowel movements, your relationship with humans, family, friends, colleagues, whatever it is, what you're putting in your body. And looking at all those things, and then you might write things down and think, oh my God, you know what? For the last two weeks, I've been completely constipated. Mm -hmm. And you might not have really noticed that or realized that because it's become a habit and it's become natural. But when you write it down, you realize, and then you might think, oh, and work's been really stressful. And my colleagues have been really frustrating me. And actually I've been so busy at work. I haven't really been able to eat properly. And I've just been eating jelly babies all day. And then you can start to see the correlation between I'm eating jelly babies all day. (laughs) I'm really stressed with work and I'm really constipated. And maybe you're also not sleeping so well, or maybe your sleep Mm -hmm. is fine. Mm -hmm. But I think writing things down and doing a little MOT of yourself and really going into trusting your instinct and your intuition there. You don't have to always go to an external source to understand what your lifestyle habits are and therefore what lifestyle yeah. habits you want to change. Yeah. So doing an observation like that, I think is really helpful. The Ayurveda is, yeah, it's known as the sister science of yoga. It's another ancient science, ancient healing modality. And it really talks about lifestyle intervention and looking at the person holistically. So you and I might both have eczema, but my eczema might be dry and itchy and flaky. And your eczema might be red and inflamed and bloody. And just looking at those two eczemas, you can see that treating you and I in exactly the same way wouldn't make sense because our eczemas are presenting different symptoms. Mm -hmm. And from an Ayurvedic perspective, the symptoms of red, inflamed, fiery is more of a pitta imbalance. Doesn't matter if you're more vata, you've got a pitta imbalance. If I'm more pitta, I've got a vata imbalance here because mine's more dry and flaky. Those are called dryness and cold as qualities of the vata dosha. So each dosha will have particular qualities. And there's vata, pitta, kapha. They're all made up of two of the elements. We could go really, we could probably do a whole other podcast. Yeah. 
So this is really, really, really high level. Yeah. But essentially understanding those differences and then looking at the individual holistically to figure out, okay, asking all those questions that I just mentioned of yourself, Mm -hmm. then you understand, okay, I'm in a state of balance and how do I get myself back into a state of balance? And there's things you can do like changing your diet, managing your stress, encouraging a better sleep habits, all of these kind of things. And obviously seeing an Ayurvedic doctor, practitioner, consultant, if you need to get more advice and also to get herbs and spices that would help treat any of these balance imbalances that you're experiencing. Mm, thanks so much for sharing that. I think that it's so beautiful how it's all based on the elements as well and the qualities. And mm. it's just so rooted in mother nature and how we are inherently nature. And so how can we start utilizing what's around us, the herbs and all of these medicines to be able to then heal us, right? So it's all there for us. Absolutely. I find that so, so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Amazing. Okay. I mean, you're right. I'm like, okay, I'll invite you back. We're going to have another conversation. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's so beautiful. So now let's dive into the other science, which is that of yoga. So of course, I feel like there's so many misconceptions of what yoga is. You know, as I mentioned earlier, when I first started, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. going to go get my cute little workout outfit and go do some poses and oh my gosh I have to be flexible there's all these myths like you know there's a lot of fear and perhaps a lot of comparison that people bring on the mat as well right because and this can be quite intimidating when you go into Mm -hmm. class and you see other people doing funky poses and you're like crap I'm not there like oh maybe it's not for me so I wonder if you can shed a light on what is the essence of yoga like how can you define yoga and what is the science behind it beyond asanas, the poses themselves? Mm, really good question and really good points around all of those things that so many of us who come to yoga have experienced, myself included. And I still sometimes feel that exclusion. Mm-hmm. And I'm a teacher and I go into a space and I still feel a little bit excluded because of how it's been presented to us and the industry. And there's quite a lot of toxic things that happen there that a lot of people don't really want to talk about because we want yoga to be all airy-fairy and blissful. But the reality is it's not sometimes in the way it's presented, but also it doesn't always make us feel calm sometimes it makes us feel really triggered and that's okay that's a valid emotion to feel in a yoga practice but if we don't expect it we think we've done something wrong we think it's actually done some bad for us Mm. but yoga really comes from the sanskrit word yuj which means to unite or to yoke and so it's about uniting with paramatma which is the supreme consciousness it's this belief that the divine lives within you i don't mind whether you call that god whether you call that jesus whether you call that ganesh It's not a religious, solely religious practice. It's a spiritual practice. So yes, yoga is linked to certain religions like Hinduism, Sikhism, Jainism, Buddhism. But it's nowhere in the text, to my understanding, does it state that this is only for these religions. It's a spiritual practice that will benefit all human beings. And I think we all actually deep down know that. So I have this theory that we know that there's something about yoga that can get into us deeper. Just because... I have the same feeling as you have when I've gone into classes and I felt like I can't do that. So I'm not good enough. And therefore I might not ever come back to the class mm-hmm. or I feel really like self-worth is low, but I don't hear anyone saying that if they were to go on a group run or if they were to go to a spin class for the first time, the people go to yoga and then they put themselves off because they compare themselves. And I feel like it's because there's resistance to getting deep within ourselves because we're scared of what's going to come up. That's a great Because I, yeah. I just don't see it happen anywhere else. It doesn't make any sense. Like if you went to a spin class once or twice and yeah. someone else was spinning 
probably so much faster than you with a way higher resistance level than you. That's so true. <laughs> you're not like, oh my God, increase the resistance. Yeah, yeah you're, you're not, not like, even, yeah. and even if you do increase the resistance, you're not like, oh my God, I'm terrible at spin. Yeah. Everyone else is better than me. I'm never going back. True. It's just mm. really interesting. Less likely, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's theory, just, I like it. <laughs> there's, just, there's, there's like a, yeah, inflammatory visceral response that people have to yoga. And I think it's just because we deep down know that what it's something else is happening and brewing yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and you know when it comes to uniting there's so many different ways we can do that and the poses have been presented as one of the main ways is to practice yoga mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with the yoga poses they're all incredible and it's really one of the main ways that I fell in love with the practice was through the poses myself I love a strong dynamic flow mm. but the issue is that it becomes then so much more about what you look like and then the comparison can come in and, you know, you could be doing the perfect crow pose, but you could be thinking horrible, horrible things about the person next to you in your head. And that's not yoga <laughs> way of life. And so I can't look at someone and say, oh, they're incredible at yoga because I don't know what's happening in your mind or your body or your soul at the time. I can see that physically, anatomically, you're nailing it. Great. But that doesn't really mean so much other than you've got your physical body into a particular shape, really. When we look at yoga, we look at so many different layers of the body. We look at different energies within the body. Mm. It's so much deeper than just what you see on the surface. So when we focus so much on what it looks like rather than what it feels like, we also can push ourselves to injury. And anatomically, we may not be able to get into certain shapes. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're bad or worse than anybody else. Yeah. But it's really about connecting within yourself, connecting with the divine. And it's about the self. Mm. about the ego it's about acknowledgement self-awareness and then it's such a deep practice that so many strands come off this and there are so many different thought patterns around ways to achieve self-realization and ways to get into that higher state yeah yeah beautiful so then you know given that is there such thing as being good at yoga <laughs> right that That's I feel a like really good a question right it's like how do you become a good quote-unquote yogi or yogini you know what are the actual pieces of the yoga practice that perhaps we want to weave into our daily life to really be yeah. practicing it authentically I think someone who's good at yoga acknowledges that they can never be truly good at yoga yes. in the sense that <laughs> yeah. there's never an end point so it's not I've done it tick I am good at yoga see you later I'm done (laughs) it's because we are complex beings we have a past we have traumas and triggers they bring up things projections into our future we might someone might walk into a room and they bring up one of those triggers so you could be good at yoga one day the next day you're triggered or something comes up or something happens in your life and completely floors you pulls the rug from under your feet how do you respond in that moment is constantly an evolving journey. And every day there are new things that come up in our lives and how we deal with them is a result of applying your yogic practices. Mm. I've never sat back and thought, yeah, I'm really good at yoga because it is as cheesy as it sounds. It is a journey and it is a lifestyle to be lived. And that's one of the biggest myths is that Someone's really good at yoga if they've been able to get into every single posture or if they're in really, really deep states of meditation and they kind of seem unfazed. But really, it's about how that ebbs and flows throughout life, because if you practice physical yoga, you will know that one day you can do a posture so comfortably or so stable 
And the next day, like, I can't do this at all. And I'm wobbling all over the place. That's part of the journey. It's part of the acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, being good at yoga is knowing that it's a constant practice. Yeah. And I think what comes up for me, I can speak from my personal experience is sometimes I get on the mat and I'm like, crap, like, I don't, why am I here for a vineyard? I don't want to do a power flow. I just need yin. Like I'm just going to be here in child's pose and breathe, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's also being able to listen to your body. And that is also part of the journey is honoring that in the present moment. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I can touch my toes. Sometimes not so much, you know, maybe something happened. I tensed up, I don't know. And that gives me something to work with. So, so yeah, I can definitely that resonates deeply um, Mm. with what you're saying. And so you bring up some different elements already, you know, the meditation, as well as the poses themselves. And I know you do a lot of breath work as well. So I'm wondering if you can Mm. shed light on what is known as the eight limbs of yoga for those listening who perhaps aren't aware of that. Of course, I trained as a yoga teacher. I don't teach, but, you know, so I'm aware of it. And I would love you to be able to, to guide us through that. So how do you live a yogic life? What are the different elements there? So there's so many different elements and there's so many different ancient texts on yoga as well. But often when people do their 200 hour teacher training, they learn the eight limbs. And so the eight limbs get get passed on, which is great because it's a great foundation, but also to know that there's so much more. There's also the five koshas, the energetic Mm -hmm. layers of the body. There's the kleshas, the five poisons and afflictions of the mind. There's the kriyas, which are six cleansing rituals. There's Mm -hmm. so many steps, but we, we definitely focus in quite a lot on the eight limbs and like I said, they they summarize so much for us. And I think that's maybe why, because they're taught in trainings and they're, they're not easy to apply, but you can see how you would apply them in your life. But the Sanskrit word is Ashtanga and Ashta is eight and Danga is the limbs. So it's the eight limbs of yoga. And this was written about in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So Patanjali is the ancient sage or the ancient yogi. But actually, when we look back, people don't know whether he was a man. He was depicted as half snake. Was he somebody who actually collated all the information from the other ancient yogis and sages and just brought it together in a textbook. It's quite a lot that's unknown because it was so long ago. But the yoga sutras, sutra is the Sanskrit word literally translating as thread. So you can kind of imagine it's little threads that make up a book. And it was in the yoga sutras of Patanjali that we go into these eight limbs in more detail. And we have the yamas and the niyamas. I say those together because they do kind of go hand in hand. They're morals that we abide by within ourselves and they're morals that we abide by when we're dealing with the rest of the world. And there's five yamas and there's five niyamas. Kind of similar to the 10, what's it called? 10 in Christianity. The commandments? Yeah, the 10 commandments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's interesting- Overlap. Yeah. Overlap, exactly. So starting off with that, and that's, shows you a lot right we starting off with morally how do we live our lives and they include things like ahimsa which is non-violence or non-harm all the way to santosha being one of the niyamas which is contentment and being at peace and being happiness to brahmacharya which is often often translated as not having sex and being celibate but actually it's more about how you conserve your energy it's about the right to use of energy Mm. and so it kind of varies across a whole load of things that you could apply in your everyday life and not on the mat at all, but also you could apply them on the mat too, you know, not being harmful towards yourself and pushing your leg into a particular pose yeah, yeah. that you know when listening to yourself, you don't want to go into. The third is asan or asana, which is the yoga pose, the various different postures that you would go through. And interestingly, the yoga sutra on asana is, is thira sukham asanam. And that's a Sanskrit literally translates as an asana or a pose should feel 
steady, stable, mm. comfortable, like a seat. And Ooh, that hopefully yeah. reminds us like, okay, well, I want to feel comfortable in this posture. So if I can't go all that way, I'm going to take it here because I want to, you know, respect what's been said way back when, but also respect myself ultimately. So totally. it can help us bring ourselves back in check. The fourth one is pranayam. Splits into prana and yama. Yama is a technique or way of doing something. And prana is often translated as the breath, but really it's the life force. It's so much more than just breath. And so pranayam or pranayama are ways that we would alter the breath to take us into different states of consciousness, whether we want to heat ourselves up, cool ourselves down, increase our blood pressure, lower our heart rate. Incredible things we can do using mm. our breath and different totally. techniques mm, yes. to change that up, which is amazing. And then we have pratyahara. And the simplest way to explain this is removing your senses from the external world. Mm. So closing your eyes or placing your hands over your ears or doing something that takes you more into your own world because when you've got all your senses open there's so much going on you can sometimes have sensory overload so it's taking totally. one step away mm. closing your eyes is a really simple way to explain that and a great example yeah. of something you can do and if you yeah. feel overwhelmed and you're on public transport or you're doing you're at your desk working and you're like oh it's just too much just see the difference that you mm. feel I'm just going to close my eyes for a minute. Ooh, and just, yeah. just notice. It's like a unplugging. It's like a <laughs> conserving it's a little, your energy in a way. Mm. Exactly. It's a little reset. It's a little like, I'm going to stop. I'm going to yeah. take a moment. And then I can open my eyes and carry on. Mm. Yeah. And then we have dharana. And dharana is meditation. So getting into that, it's practiced in this order because by the time you've done all these things, you're kind of, getting towards that state of going more inwards and getting into that deeper state of meditation. And meditation is really just, you know, one point of focus. Then that takes us to dhyana, which is more of a deep state of meditation. So more of a one point fixed, mm. really in the zone. And then you get to the final eighth limb, which is samadhi. And samadhi is known as this enlightened state, being completely self-realized, higher state of consciousness, getting to the point of, blissfulness I think it's really important to note that we shouldn't live our lives thinking I need to hit samadhi and if I haven't hit it I'm bad at yoga because again we can be such perfectionists in our lives totally totally and I feel like that can also lead to like spiritual bypassing sometimes when you think like oh I'm just gonna live up here and you know at the end of the day we also live on this earth on the planet earth and there is that realistic idea Mm -hmm. but I think it's practices are so beautiful and they bring so much benefit even if you don't necessarily reach that point you know, at the end of the day, we don't live in the Himalayas. <laughs> we're, we're fully just disconnected. You know, we might not get get there, but it's we're, that practice and that journey mm-hmm. you're saying, that's where you get all those benefits as well. Yeah. And like, it's not, there's not an end state. And yeah. it's really about how do you make it work for you? How do you apply these ancient texts and these ancient practices and make it work for your life, for your busy life, where you have to pay bills, where you have to maybe pay a mortgage, where you have to go to work every day. You have to deal with someone that really annoys you. Like you said, you can't just shut everything away and go into a cave. You might mm-hmm. want to take that route, but guess what? Well, at some <laughs> point, you're going to come out of the cave. Yeah. And it's really about how you apply it. And, you know, I used to teach yoga in gyms way back when. Right. About five years ago, I was teaching yoga in gyms. And people in the class would get, including the teacher, I remember, when I wasn't teaching, but I was a teacher, would get so frustrated at people dropping weights outside and music mm-hmm. blasting from the gym. 
And I, I resonate with that because I've been there, you know, you kind of feeling really relaxed and then this tune is banging and you're like, oh, I'm in the zone. That is the perfect summary of what life is. You're in that zone and then bam, something snaps you out with it. Something distracts you. It's not what you wanted to hear. That's life. And mm-hmm. so actually doing yoga in gyms, yoga in gyms gets a really bad rep because it's, oh, it's so noisy. Go right. back. If you can do yoga there and you can bring your mind to one yeah. point of focus, you're going to be way better at living life and applying mm-hmm. in your life because it, arguably it could be a lot easier for some people to practice in a nice, relaxing, lavender-infused <laughs> oh, Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, every day. <laughs> yeah. No weights dropping. It's like, yeah, that's great. It's beautiful. You can sink deeper into it. But then when you go out and there's a busy road and there's a car accident, how are you dealing with that? Like, how are you dealing yeah. with the clashes of life? Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And I think back to, so even my meditation practice, originally I thought I felt that way. I could definitely relate to, okay, it has to be quiet. Like I need to focus, like, oh, you know, sit there, oh, meditate. But eventually through years of practice and actually even training, I trained in Vedic meditation, which I absolutely love. Mm. And that helped me so much. That was definitely a technique that works for me. I know everyone has their own way of doing it. And there's so many forms of meditation out there. But I remember through learning this technique, what I found out was actually I can do it in the tube. I can go on the subway. It's super loud, chaotic, Mm. but I can close my eyes and go inward and being able to just do it within there. I was like, okay, like, wow. Yeah, you can Mm -hmm. find peace within despite where you are. And I think that is the biggest testament to strengthening and that skill and that capacity to have that equanimity despite the chaos around you. So that was a huge shift in my practice is being able to take it outside in the real world. Mm. The biggest thing I try and share to people is how do you make it easy for you and how do you apply it and make it accessible? We can't all do a one hour class every day. We might not want to do, to your point earlier, a power flow every day. Listen to what you need to do, even if it's as simple as when you're folding your laundry, you're feeling the texture and the material as you fold that pillowcase. Sounds so cheesy, I know, but love it. Love the cheese. Add the cheese. (laughs) That is the the mindfulness practice. That is the feeling, Mm -hmm. bringing your senses into it, slowing down, being more mindful, being more aware as you do the simple mundane tasks of life, as opposed to your head's whirring, replaying a situation again and again and again, and we're all on autopilot. That's a great place to start to get yourself back into the awareness, even when you're doing the dishes. Mm. Just paying paying attention and being focused with what you're doing and letting it be something that you apply into your everyday and take off the mat as much as you practice on the mat. Yeah, absolutely. I love that tip. Are there any other tips that you can share with us? Like any other ways that we can bring Mm. these practices into our daily life? Watching your breath and watching your breath regularly because it becomes a habit that then it's you don't even think about it but you're becoming aware of your breath morning and evening in your bed you know you start your day in the bed you end your day in your bed mostly and if you can then bring your hands to your belly or bring your hands to your chest or even have your hands lying inside of you but just check in with your breath and maybe take some deeper slower breaths that's going to help you start your day in a less jumping up adrenaline stress running out of the bed i've got stuff to do which isn't productive. We all think it is, but it's not. You're going to be way more focused if you're not in that state of stress, which we know is our sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. We want to get ourselves into that parasympathetic, relaxed state because you will be more focused and you will feel more in control of things. So great way to start in the morning, but then mirror that in the evening. And then again, check in with your breath because you'll probably be reflecting on what happened in your day. In order to sleep well, we need to lower that adrenaline and that cortisol, that stress. 
we need to increase that oxytocin and the melatonin in order to be able to sleep. So how do you do that? Taking some slow, deep breaths, a longer exhalation. Maybe you breathe in for the count of two. Maybe you breathe out for the count of four. Start with that for a week. See how it is. Really simple. Mm -hmm. Check your breath in the morning. Check your breath in the evening. And then as you go, you might notice in the middle of the day, if there's a stressful situation that's happened, check in with your breath. Check in with your body. Are you accidentally squeezing up your pelvic floor, pulling in your tummy, shoulders are up here? It's okay if you are. Let's be aware, let's drop them, let's breathe deeper. So the practice of breath is beautiful and really reveals a lot to us about how we're feeling emotionally. Mm, it really does. It's so tightly linked, like you said, to that nervous system. So it's a beautiful way to anchor and just mm. ground down and just check in with yourself. I love that tip before. So as soon as you wake up and when you go to bed and check in, mm. I'm going to start doing that. I'm like, I check in with my breath a bit, but but I've never thought of it. Like first thing in the morning, like, how am I feeling today? It's a great- I think end. also from a scientific perspective, there's a difference between breathing consciously and unconsciously. Totally. So a lot of people who may be listening thinking, well, I breathe. I don't have time to breathe. I'm breathing yeah. anyway. <laughs> if you're sitting and consciously breathing, so you're yeah. focusing on your breath. Right now, you and I are not really thinking about our breath because we're in conversation. But if we were to stop and to mm -hmm. sit and to just watch our breath and to breathe, it you know do the action as opposed to let the action be passive we're actively doing it you mm -hmm. have a different effect on a cellular level mm -hmm. your breath changes parts of you you're able to tap into different states within you so yeah. there are different benefits to breathing consciously versus it being a passive breath absolutely. that you're taking absolutely and different forms of breath achieve different things as well i don't like the word achieve but you know get you feelings to yeah. bring on different states and that's the thing is you notice when you're anxious if you think about it there's you know how are we breathing it's quite shallow it's quite quick and then if we're really mm. relaxed and chilled or even if we're in a deep state sleep typically it's a lot slower there's exactly. a lot more depth so that's such a great reflection of our state and so we can actually yeah. change the breath change the state as well it doesn't have that's to be it breath follows it could be the other way around as well it's so a, I think yeah it's a bi-directional relationship mm -hmm. it's not that just what's happening in your mind will then alter your breath yeah. it's that you have the power which is such an incredibly empowering thing to know and more people should yeah. know that if you choose to change your I don't care how you're feeling you yeah. say to yourself yeah I feel crap I feel so anxious I feel so so stressed mm. I'm going to yeah. force myself to breathe in this way because when you force yourself to breathe in a way, the breath tells the mind through the nervous system, mm. through, the body, through the amygdala in your brain, it's okay. There's no threat. Yeah. It's all right. And you can get yourself back and you can self-regulate. And that is a free tool. And it's such a beautiful tool it. for you to apply. Like you don't need to always go to the external to find it. You can mm -hmm. check in with yourself and, yeah. and heal really. You always have your lungs with you, right? So here we go. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. It's, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully keep those with you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it makes me think of, I actually started doing cold plunging most recently. And it's this, obviously when you go into a cold, ice cold water, like I literally, mm. it was the new year day and I was on a lake back home in Canada and I had to break the ice. I was like, I'm going to do this Wim Hof thing. You know, I'm doing it. I'm going wow. in. And yeah, I ended up doing it but it's all about breath right because yeah. otherwise your body immediately thinks oh my god hypothermia kick in like survival mode panic you start tensing you stop breathing and so it's not you know don't advise doing that don't do this at home but of course if you start regulating your breath you're signaling like you said to your body I'm safe 
hey, like yeah. our brain, you're like, I'm okay. It's okay. So, so we are so powerful yeah. as being, and we need to take back that power and reclaim mm-hmm. that for ourselves. And I've just recently finished my pregnancy and postnatal yoga teacher training course, Amazing. which was incredible. And I feel so excited to teach people who are pregnant or have yeah. just given birth, but it's the same in pregnancy. It's the same when you're experiencing a surge. It's the same when you're in labor and you're having that experience. It's going with your breath because you're right. We tense up, we squeeze up. No baby's going to want to come out of a body that's like this. You need to release, relax, breathe through it. And there's loads of different breathing techniques to incorporate Mm. in that period of your life as well. So any big momentous occasions, anything that's maybe challenging, like a cold plunge, Mm. the breath is always with you. Yes, absolutely. I'll be consulting you later in the future. When that time comes, I'll be like, okay, <laughs> yeah, teach me all the breathing techniques. <laughs> that's great. But yeah, it is. Yeah. Mind. That's it. When you actually, so mind and body come together. And I think that's such a great example is that mm. it's, we often say mind over matter, but it's actually, how can we then use the mind to check in with the body and utilize the body? Right. So it's like you said, bi-directional. So I think there's so much power in that. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. So yeah, I, okay. I know our time is coming to an end. I'm like, we could talk about so many other things. I'll have to have you back, Angie. (laughs) But, you know, I want to just get a sense about you in terms of any recommendations, any resources you would recommend for us who want to learn a bit more about yoga and how we can bring this in, this beautiful ancient wisdom that is rooted in such, you know, such rigorous science. It's ancient. It's been around for years is the reason why we keep coming back to it. So I wonder if there's perhaps two to three books you might recommend. I know you like talking about this on your page as well. So do you give Angie a follow? I'm going to pop your details as well, but could you share with us some resources where we can learn more? Yeah. So there's so many, it depends on what you want to learn about, but there's so many different, I actually have a reading list on my website, which has got my kind of favorite go-tos. I am a big fan of Swami Rama. Swami Rama is an ancient yogi, not actually so ancient, but a yogi from India. He has an amazing book called The Science of Breath. Mm. That for me was a real view into, I mean, it does what it says on the tin. It talks about the science. And for anyone who's thinking breath work is a little bit wishy-washy and they don't really get it. And, you know, the whole I breathing and I'm breathing anyway, that will actually explain what is happening in your body in your rib cage and your diaphragm and your lungs and everything when you are changing your breath. So that was a real eye opener for me. And there's loads of research as well now, especially in the West that, mm. that talks about the power of breath. So catching up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ongoing research that's happening. I also really like the autobiography of a yogi, which is by Paramahansa Yogananda. Paramahansa Yogananda was one of the first yogis that came over to the West to teach yoga when I say yoga it was more the meditation focused side as opposed to what we see now in modern western yoga but that's another really really nice one and then if you're into like wanting to know mystical stories about the swamis who lived in caves and, and that <laughs> yes. kind of stuff sign um, me up <laughs> that doesn't necessarily have like much science backing or but you don't need that it's more about the mystical stories and that kind of stuff then there's another one called living with Himalayan masters and that's again by Swami Rama and Swami Rama goes into the caves and meets all these masters and that's a really great one Mm, and there are so many more you know if you are more interested in like spirituality there's a really good one I've got called anatomy of the spirit by Carolyn Miss Mm. and again that's on my reading list And then also, you know, the whole reason that I want to bring yoga to the fore is to get rid of all those myths, but also to share 
the practice that my ancestors taught and that my parents taught me and my grandparents taught me and really pass that on. So if anyone wants to learn in video format, then my membership platform is a great place to start. And we've got movement, meditation, breath, philosophy, Ayurveda, really reasonably priced and members all over the world, which is so lovely to join a global community. And it's on demand. So, you know, they're pre-recorded classes. No, you don't have to put your camera on and join a Zoom. It's do a class whenever you want to kind of style. So I've beautiful. I've got to recommend Unearthed, which is my membership. Yes, beautiful. We'll pop it in the show notes as well. So that will, you know, definitely look up Angie. I love your website and you offer so many beautiful resources, tools and services. So yeah, I'm so grateful that you've shared your time with us today Thank and that you've you. been able to share this wisdom that's been passed down for generations. I think there couldn't have been a better person to chat to us today about this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having yeah. me. <laughs> we'll see you soon. We'll chat soon. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Align with Ari. Now, if you like this episode, subscribe, rate, review if you feel called, and please share with a soul sister you think would love to hear it. And if you're looking for more support, head to arianarodriguez.com where you'll find some free resources, a quiz, my embodiment toolkit, and coaching services for a more personalized approach. You can also find me at Align with Ari on YouTube or align.with.ari on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and catch you soon.